Hello there, folks. Greetings and welcome to a new season of the Undercover Bubble Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Moore, and I'd like to thank you very much for joining me today to take a deep dive into this interesting thing that we call the conservative media bubble once again. Now, as I'm sure many of you are well aware, I haven't done a podcast in, I think, a little under two months now. And the reason for that is because, long story short, the health issues that I talked about in my previous episode got worse and then got compounded by other separate health issues, still non-COVID, thankfully. And by the way, we do still have a pandemic going on, and it's worse than it's ever been by far. So stay safe, stay home, wear a mask. And I do want to mention real quickly that just because I haven't been doing podcasts regularly doesn't mean I haven't been paying attention to the bubble. And from what I've seen in the last month and a half, nobody in the bubble, whether it be Fox News, Newsmax, One America, Infowars, whatever, none of them has mentioned the pandemic once that I've seen. And I just want you to understand how scary that is because we have over 4,000 people dying from COVID a day in the last couple of days. And as far as they're concerned, they don't even exist. This virus has been taken care of because Trump is our Lord and Savior. And it just boggles my mind that they're not even giving it any coverage whatsoever. So stay safe, stay home, wear a mask, avoid large crowds, because if you watch the bubble, they're not going to tell you that. So anyway, when I got sick with all these health issues, I decided I was just going to take the whole month of December off to decompress, get myself healthy again, and just sort of watch as an observer all this craziness that was Trump trying to overturn the results of the election unfold. And in hindsight, I kind of wish I had been doing episodes because it seemed like every day or two, there'd be some sort of nugget of new information that would completely change the game or just expose more of Trump's hypocrisy or another one of his lawsuits would get shut down. But none of that could compare to what happened this week. And believe me, I will be getting into the big happening of this week plenty But before I do, I want to go through what happened with Trump's phone call in Georgia on Sunday, because I think it's very important to use that as a sort of precursor to the violence that we saw in the Capitol on Wednesday. So in case you don't remember back that far, and I don't blame you if you don't, because what happened in the Capitol on Wednesday was absolutely insane. President Trump called the attorney general of Georgia on the phone last Sunday and in no uncertain terms demanded that he find the exact number of votes that he needed to win. And I've actually got the audio of that right here and I'm going to play it real quick just in case you've forgotten what it sounded like. Here you go. The people of Georgia are angry. The people of the country are angry. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. Well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong. Look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. So in case you didn't get that, 
That was Trump, the sitting president of the United States, demanding that the Georgia Attorney General find him the exact number of votes that he needs to beat Joe Biden and swing the state back to him. And this call proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Trump is not interested in voter fraud, as he likes to claim. He is only interested in cementing his rule. He is only interested in staying on top. He is only interested in himself at the expense of all others and all else. He just wants to cement his status as the ruler of the GOP for the foreseeable future. Even if he doesn't get the votes, he wants to sort of give them an offer he can't refuse to make sure that they all go along with what he wants and with his mindset. And it worked. Maybe not in the way that we thought it would, but I think what happened on Wednesday is proof that it worked. Ten senators before the whole debacle that was the Capitol riot, ten senators and over a hundred congressmen said that they would bring Trump's claims of voter fraud as an objection to the floor of the House while they were certifying the votes. So, if that's not Trump's threats doing their job, I don't know what is. And the problem with this, and I've heard the argument before that well, Trump's wall within his rights to be able to contest the results of this election, and I'm going to put it in the same way that Fareed Zakaria did this morning on his show on CNN. Just because you can contest the results of the election in court doesn't mean you should. And the problem that this creates, along with the Republican echo chamber of just rolling with these claims, is that it makes these false views, demonstrably false, already been proven false more than a dozen times over. It gives these views legitimacy and makes them mainstream, which means that the crazies, like the ones we saw at the Capitol riot, feel more emboldened to come out and take action. It seems like the facts matter less and less each passing day, and the only thing that's really important in this conservative bubble is loyalty. And we all know where that's led historically. And the GOP knows that without the support of these people, their chances of getting reelected dwindle with each passing day. So they ally themselves with these non-truthers and these conspiracy theorists because they know that the only way they can maintain their power, the only way they can win, is to rig the game. And this was why the Georgia runoff elections were so important. Because if one senator had won those, and thank God neither of them did, they maintained the power to do absolutely nothing throughout Joe Biden's presidency, just like they did during Obama's. And what happened after the Tea Party got in in 2010? Not much. And when not much happened, the American people got angry. And who did they blame? The president. So if the two Democrats hadn't won the Georgia Senate runoffs, that would have been the case again. 
and it would have made up for a much stronger GOP run for president in 2024. And finally, after four years of all this BS, it seems like the GOP's embracing of these fringe movements and conspiracy theories is finally coming back to bite them. And it's been very interesting watching how Republicans in Congress and in other positions of power have reacted to what happened on Wednesday. And the most interesting one for me is Mitch McConnell. Because for all the bad things and fun that I make of Mitch McConnell, he's not a dumb person. He's been in politics his entire life. And it seemed like, at least before the Capitol riots happened, he was trying to play both sides of the game, whether Trump remained in power or didn't. He tried to curry favor with Trump by echoing these claims of fraud in case Trump stayed the head of the party, but he was also trying to hedge his position against the Democrats in case he didn't. And the example I have is that he denied the $2,000 checks that Trump had asked for. But in any case, I'd like to go into how the bubble presented both this sort of dichotomy that we see from the Republicans for and against Trump and the call that I was talking about earlier. So I'm going to start with Newsmax. And it seems like Newsmax has fully embraced just being the mouthpiece of the far-right conspiracy theories. Almost as much as InfoWars, except InfoWars sort of goes a step beyond that. But anyway, the big headline on the front of Newsmax's front page said that the president was totally right on the charges in the call. And there was this massive article that it linked to about how these fraud claims weren't baseless. And I went through the entire thing, and there's, for example, there was one that said, Nevada had 42,000 multiple voters, 1,500 dead voters, 19,000 non-resident voters, and 4,000 non-citizen voters. And just going on a simple fact-checking spree through Google and PolitiFact and sites like that indicated that this evidence was soundly rejected in court as not being true. And yet... Trump lawyers brought it to the congressional hearing last week anyway. And let's not forget, there was a congressional hearing on voter fraud last week that was basically just a show put on by Republicans to parade and push to the forefront Trump's baseless theories of voter fraud. And so what that tells me is that the bubble and Republicans as an extension don't care about whether it's factual or not. They just want the information to be out there and to be talked about. And I said this way back in my first couple episodes, that Trump, for all his craziness and flaws and faults, knows the media. He knows very well how the propagation of information works in today's society. You don't need to prove anything today with the way that social media sort of spreads information or disinformation. You don't need to prove anything anymore. You don't even need to be believable. You just need enough money poured into your information campaign and a loud enough voice. And Trump is probably the loudest voice in the history of modern politics. 
And as far as the money goes, there's no shortage of that either in the Republican Party. And it seemed like the rest of the bubble just took this disinformation coming out of Trump's mouth, expanded on it, and spread it out even further. Most of the outlets that I looked at, so Daily Caller, InfoWars, One America, they all had some sort of story covering the Democrats saying that the attempt to overturn the election was sedition. And specifically, they all had articles on Ted Cruz telling them to calm down and tone down the rhetoric. And I thought that was rich coming from the folks who were screaming about this being the most rigged election in history. I mean, it's almost as if Trump's words are literally coming out of the mouthpiece of the GOP, like it's an extension of his Twitter feed. And speaking of his Twitter feed, it no longer exists. And I'll, again, get into that later, but I just wanted to mention how awesome I think that is, and it's been a long time coming. But moving on to The Federalist, they had an article basically talking about how ignoring and ridicule election fraud won't make it go away. And I wanted to go into this article in depth a little bit because it really sort of set the stage for what was going to happen on Wednesday. So the article basically just talked about how there was election fraud, we have all this evidence, and then there was a line that was really telling to me. And it said, whether or not you agree there was massive election fraud doesn't really matter. And this is the entire problem that I see with the bubble. That, first of all, the bubble presents this fraud as a factual thing that happened when it wasn't, but more importantly, whether or not you agree with them doesn't matter because they know that it happened and they want you to know that it happened. And that goes back to what I've been talking about with truthiness. Believing what you know in your heart even when all the evidence points against it. And as a result, evidence and truth are no longer important or necessary in political discourse when you're in the bubble. And even members of the bubble are starting to sort of see the light. And Geraldo Rivera in particular, and my hat goes off to him for this, was asked what he thought of so many people believing in fraud. And he said, it's a belief based on propaganda and he was pissed off that anyone would even consider actually thinking it was a real thing he's already said throughout december that he knows joe biden won the election and trump should just take his losses and move on so hats off to you geraldo good job but anyway one more thing that i did want to mention about the call before i move on to what happened wednesday and that will serve as sort of a segue into it is that Trump many times during that Georgia call basically told him it would be really good for you and for your lawyers and maybe he even said for your family if you would just do what I asked you. You know, like a mafia done. He's going to make him an offer he can't refuse. And the fact that he didn't do it anyway made Trump even more pissed off than he already was and probably led to him inflaming his rhetoric on Wednesday that directly led to the violence at the Capitol. So I'm going to talk about what happened on Wednesday now, and I think it's important that I start with Mike Pence. 
because when they were inside the Capitol, tearing things down, breaking windows, and standing at the lectern, a lot of them were calling for Mike Pence's head on a platter. There were plenty of hang Mike Pence chants rolling around through the Capitol. And the reason for this was because at the beginning of the certification process, Pence straight up went on the record against Trump saying that he can't claim unilateral authority to overturn any votes. And when he said this and they started the actual count, they cut to the Fox host talking about it. And they basically said that Mitch has been vehemently against the objections, which, by the way, I tip my hat off to him for. And they said that there's a civil war going on within the Republican Party and that Mitch and Pence chose democracy over Trump. But it didn't seem like that was the mood in most of the room at the time because when they got to Arizona and the GOP objected to the Arizona votes, a massive round of applause went out from every Republican senator present. And Mitch, to his credit, went up to the lectern during the Arizona objection and said that this is the most important vote he has ever cast and talked about how these voter fraud claims were based on sweeping conspiracy theories and that he supported the president's efforts, again, with him trying to play both sides here, but nothing proves illegality on a massive scale. Public doubt alone cannot justify a challenge without evidence. And then the most interesting thing was that he said that this election was not unusually close. So through the first sort of, I guess, two-thirds of his speech, I was pleasantly surprised at how he was taking this and how he was actually defending democracy for once over Trump. But then he got into bashing Democrats for attacking the validity of Trump's election and saying that we must not imitate what the Democrats did. And I'm like, oh, there's old Mitch again. But in any case, after he finished talking... Chuck Schumer started talking about the objection, but they cut away from him because, you know, he's a Democrat and they don't really care what he has to say. And then they started cutting to the remnants of the rally that were starting to make their way over to the Capitol. And it seemed like in the moments before all hell started breaking loose, the GOP and the bubble were starting to see the light. Britt Hume, talking about the rally, basically said that the effort to contest the election is doomed. It'll end up going nowhere and that it's a reflection on the lack of civility and constitutional order. And then they cut to a reporter on the ground, and this was, I'm not sure if this was while they were storming the Capitol or just before, but it was in the early stages. And they cut to a reporter on the ground who was talking to a woman at the rally about Pence going against Trump. And the reporter told her that the Constitution doesn't let Pence reject votes like he wanted him to, like Trump wanted him to. And her response was, that doesn't matter. And this is the problem with this fringe movement that has now made its way aggressively, violently into the mainstream. That a majority of the majority party in the United States thinks that the constitutional limits set on presidential power, and in this case, vice presidential power, are irrelevant. And in case you don't believe me about the whole majority thing, let's just remember that even now, four out of five Republicans believe 
that Donald Trump had the election stolen from him by Joe Biden and the Democrats. So, like I said, the truth doesn't matter anymore. Facts don't matter anymore. Constitutional limits on power don't matter when you know in your heart that something is true. And when you combine this with a completely inflamed, fired up, and angry mob of thousands of people that have just been whipped into a frenzy by the president and his even crazier son, it's not really surprising that we got the result that we did. And I'm just going to go through real quick some of the things that the speakers at the rally on the White House Rotunda said before all this started happening. Beginning with Trump Jr. Ironically, during his speech, he said, we came here to change America, to advocate for our policies and for our voices to be heard, and we did it without burning down buildings. We did it without looting. And of course, what happened when the riot started getting out of control? They started destroying buildings. They started looting. And the interesting thing is that in that sort of part of the speech where he was talking about how different they were from Black Lives Matter, he sort of facetiously said, when there's a peaceful protest, you're supposed to burn it all down. And that's exactly what they did. Then we move on to Trump Sr., the actual president, who is the center of this entire debacle. And anyone who believes that his words didn't incite the mob to violence is just straight up wrong. Because he said, and I quote, You'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. We come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building. Couple that with what Trump Jr. said and Rudy Giuliani's unbelievable notion that their rally and their attempt to stop the steal was a trial by combat. Once again, Rudy Giuliani at this rally full of crazy, mad, fired-up Trump people, said that this was a trial by combat. Couple that with, you need to show strength, you need to march to the Capitol, and when you're in a protest, you're supposed to burn things down, you're supposed to loot things. So combine all that rhetoric with the lie that the election was stolen and the messages propagating on alternative social media sites like 8Con and Parler that we need to do something about it. And this is what's going to happen. Predictably, the mob, after the rally was over, marched down to the Capitol, overwhelmed the absurdly minimal police protection they had, and took the whole building over. And when this happened... It seemed like the bubble, for the most part, really sort of took a step back and said, whoa, this is not what we intended. Every outlet, including Newsmax and One America and all those, said that this was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day for America. 
and they actually carried a GOP congressman that said, I forget who it was, that said, the president needs to show leadership and get this under control, otherwise it's a straight-up coup attempt. They had a Fox reporter who was just reporting on the ground as to what these people were doing here and why they were doing it, and he got accused of being a member of the fake news media and had to cut his interview short because he got assaulted. And throughout the bubble, there was lots of sentiment of the Republic is in peril. We're all one American family. This is not the American way. It's embarrassing. It needs to stop. But the problem is that these protesters, even though they consume these sources in the bubble, they're not listening to them anymore. They've taken the lessons that you don't need to believe what you read in the news completely to heart, more so than I think they ever intended. Because the only person that could have stopped it was Donald Trump. And honestly, after looking at some of the comments I've seen both before and after this happened, they might not even have listened to him. This movement might have grown beyond his control. And Trump did not back down. Trump was pleaded, begged by multiple staffers to call the National Guard in, to call more Capitol Police in, to get this under control, to stop the madness. And apparently, he was watching the whole thing on TV and enjoying it. He was ecstatic. He was super happy that people were taking to the streets in his name. And he certainly reiterated these feelings in that bizarre video that he posted up on his Twitter, basically saying, go home, but... I love you. You're amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. Stop the steal. It was a stolen election. It was rigged. It was the worst in the history of the country. But go home. I love you. And it's clear to me that the only reason he told them to go home, and of course they didn't, was because his staffers just straight up told him, if you don't, you are going to lose the presidency and it's going to be an embarrassment for you. Again, making it about him rather than the country. Because that's all Trump cares about. He doesn't care about the United States. He doesn't care about the GOP. Trump cares about Trump. And whatever he thinks is going to help him personally, at whatever expense, he's going to do it. Including rioting and breaking into the Capitol with people with weapons and zip ties and harsh rhetoric of hanging Mike Pence and murdering congressional members. And make no mistake about it, folks. This is why the mob was there. They were not there as a peaceful protest. Peaceful protesters don't break the windows of Congress and try to force their way in with weapons. Think about the photo of the guy on the Senate floor with a handgun, zip ties, a ninja mask, and tactical gear. You really think that guy was there to peacefully protest? Why would you bring zip ties and a handgun not to mention all the tactical gear, to a protest. Make no mistake about it, folks. People like that, they had plans. And if the Secret Service and what Capitol Police were there doing their jobs hadn't, we probably would have had a hostage situation and possibly a massacre on our hands. This was the first time since the British burned it down in the War of 1812 that anyone has gotten into the Capitol. And the worst part about it is that when you compare what happened here 
versus the response that we got during the Black Lives Matter protests, it opens up an entirely new avenue of racial injustice. And I'm not going to go any further into it other than to say that I 100% agree with that assessment and the fact that we had Capitol Police pulling back barricades, ushering people in, and taking selfies with the rioters is absolutely despicable and needs to be fully investigated and prosecuted. So, the interesting thing about the bubble's response to all this, though, is that the only site that encouraged what was happening was InfoWars. They were proclaiming that the revolution starts now. Apparently, Alex Jones was there and he loved what he saw. But at the same time, literally not even a day later, they posted up an article saying that Antifa provocateurs were the ones that led the charge to storm the U.S. Capitol. So, wait, are you for the Capitol violence or are you against the Capitol violence? I'm a little bit confused. You seem to be playing it both ways. That... The revolution has begun and we need to support everyone that's in there. But now that everyone else is condemning it a day later, it was Antifa. But in any case, Infowars seemed like they were the only ones that viewed this in a positive light. The rest of the conservative bubble, surprisingly to me, seemed to be condemning everything that was happening. The Federalists straight up called it a riot, condemned the pipe bombs that were found in the Capitol and the... Republican and Democrat headquarters. One America was similar. Even Breitbart, who normally spends all of its time just trumpeting whatever comes out of Trump's mouth, called this situation god-awful and quoted Jake Tapper from CNN, calling it a bloodless coup. Of course, we all know now it wasn't bloodless. I think it was five people died. And... Another interesting thing was that when I went to check Newsmax to see how they were responding to it, their site was down. So, I mean, it could be entirely coincidental, but I'd like to think that it wasn't. I'd like to think that they posted something up that was so inflammatory, they decided to just shut the whole thing down until they could sort of get a hold of things. The Daily Caller also called it a coup attempt. They called the protesters a mob. And the other interesting thing is that when I checked all these sources, I also went onto the conservative subreddit, which normally is sort of a breeding ground for maybe not vehemently pro-Trump folks, but those who believe that he is a good president. And most of the comments had been downvoted into oblivion, calling this a positive thing. Even the pro-Trump mob on there seemed to be saying that this was an embarrassment. But now that I mentioned that, I did want to go into how the fact that things like this happened, like you had parts of the bubble that were for it and parts that were against it, really illustrates that the GOP is splitting in two. You have your trump publicans who are essentially far-right white supremacists, and what I like to call reasonists. So, Republicans who are willing to listen to reason, who are willing to engage with the other side, whereas Trump-publicans do not. Trump-publicans believe that 
it's our way or the highway and anyone who doesn't think our way needs to get out of our way or die and the problem is that while there are more reasonists than Trump Republicans in the Republican Party the Trump Republicans are a lot louder and that's sort of in their nature because they just get angry about everything Trump didn't win angry Supreme Court didn't help Trump overturn the election angry and these voices are echoed by the fringe parts of the bubble which seems to be coming more and more into the spotlight with social media platforms like Parler and they result in things like this happening and honestly I don't think this is the last we've seen of the violent Trump mob but before I get into that let's talk about how the big three on Fox presented what happened on Wednesday so first Tucker came on just as Congress was about to get back into session to certify and what does he talk about he compares the riots to Black Lives Matter protests. He called out the hypocrisy of the left for BLM being okay looting and pillaging, but not this protest. Now, to his credit, he did say that what happened at the Capitol got way out of hand and he detested it. But to compare what BLM did with storming a bastion of American democracy and destroying it basically and calling for Mike Pence's head you didn't see stuff like that in Black Lives Matter you didn't see the crowds in BLM protests calling for cops to be executed they wanted reform they wanted change they did not want violence and also they didn't storm the capital of the United States BLM didn't bring guns and zip ties and a fully functioning noose to their protests. To compare the two is just absolutely insane and wrong. But in any case, the funniest part of Tucker's argument was that at one point in his monologue, he said that Chris Cuomo was one of the ones who have been inciting the riots by supporting Black Lives Matter. And I just had to laugh out loud because... Does he really think that Trump publicans are listening to Chris Cuomo? <laughs> but after he was done with his monologue, he had this British Lane Price from Mad Men looking dude who he has on occasionally, who's basically, again, just a mouthpiece of Trump and the far right. And his response to the riots was that it's okay to burn a Wendy's, but not okay to loot the Capitol. This old building is important now? You can't have that. And my response to that is, yes, there is a difference between burning down a Wendy's and attempting to take over the main seat of government for the most powerful country in the world. There is a difference. Not that I'm condoning burning down the Wendy's, but to say that the two are equivalent in nature and in scope and in importance is just straight up wrong. And I'm not even going to get into it anymore. They had a reporter on who had to apologize for wearing a mask while talking about Trump's Twitter being suspended. And the interesting thing, though, was that throughout his show, Tucker did not carry the certification that was happening. And neither did Hannity, who came on right after him. 
Hannity half-heartedly sort of directly reported on what happened at the Capitol, lamented that policemen had been hurt in the chaos. But then he went into, the president was right, our election was a train wreck. And after that, he went into how the fact that the Capitol riots got violent was the result of a few bad actors. Which, by the way, is the same argument that he made fun of the Democrats for using during Black Lives Matter. And I'm not even going to get into how ironic that statement is. But like Mitch, he made the argument of we won't mirror the despicable behavior we see on the left, equating the riots with Black Lives Matter protests. And another guest came on during his show that said, and I quote, All Trump protests have been peaceful until now. Really? Peaceful? Tell that to Charlottesville. You remember how peaceful Charlottesville was? Then Trump came out and said there were very fine people on both sides? Tell that to the Million MAGA March back in November, when after dark, there was just a huge outpouring of violence and a bunch of people got stabbed. Tell that to the protests in Oregon, where the Proud Boys literally ripped cameras out of people's hands and beat them up. This is not a nonviolent, peaceful movement, no matter how much they might try to indicate as such. And they get plenty of help. Laura Ingram, when she came on, tried to put the blame for the storming of the Capitol on people that were, quote, antithetical to the MAGA movement. But this is the problem with that statement. The storming of the Capitol was not just done by a few bad actors. There were thousands of people in there breaking windows and stealing lecterns and putting their foot up on Nancy Pelosi's desk and stealing letters from it. The storming of the Capitol was not, as Tucker put it, a peaceful protest gone awry by the rhetoric of Donald Trump, which, to his credit, he did admit probably made things escalate more. But the storming of the Capitol was not done by people antithetical to the MAGA movement. It's clear from both the actions that were undertaken and the general attitude of everyone there that the storming of the Capitol was the MAGA movement. That is the MAGA movement in action. That is the MAGA movement doing what they said they were going to do. It's like Trump always saying he's going to do things and then the Republicans laugh it off, saying, oh, well, he's just joking around. He's just being facetious. He's not actually going to do those things. And then he does them. This is exactly what happened with this MAGA movement. They said they were going to storm the Capitol and that's exactly what they did. And let's not beat around the bush here, folks. Make no mistake about it. These were terrorists. They planted bombs in the Capitol and in the RNC and DNC headquarters. They brought assault rifles, pistols, Molotov cocktails, and zip ties with the undeniable intent of taking hostages and possibly killing people in the name of Trump. And Trump sat up in the White House loving every minute of it. To the degree that even after he put out the statement basically condemning the violence and saying that he was going to have a peaceful transition, he apparently regretted putting that statement out and screamed at the top of his lungs to his advisors 
I'm not going to resign and that Democrats will regret what they've done. Apparently, he is now planning on doing multiple interviews to conservative news sources to stroke his ego, I would assume. And he's also planning on creating his own social media network. And that brings me around at long last to Parler. I first found out about Parler, I think around mid-November, and it's billed as a social media network that doesn't have the constraints of big tech on free speech. So translated into normal person talk, that basically means if you have hate speech or violent rhetoric that you want to share with your hardcore far-right conservative buddies, we're not going to stop you from sharing it like Twitter and Facebook will. So when I first saw what Parler was about, I knew that when I resumed my podcast, I had to get on there and add it as a source. Because this seems like it's the place now where most of the conspiracy theories and fear-mongering and ratcheting up the rhetoric and the violence seems to be taking place now, because obviously Twitter and Facebook seem to be cracking down on it. So I did the thing. I set up a Parler account for myself, basically saying the same kind of stuff I've been hearing from the bubble for months, that the election was stolen and MAGA 2020, and we need to bring Jesus back into the government. And that's the other thing I want to mention real quick, is that there is so much a a serious religious streak to everything I've been seeing in the bubble and on Parler. There is so much just Jesus has left us and we need to get Christianity back into the lives of American citizens and just using religion as a crutch to sort of air your grievances. Again, I am completely okay with people believing whatever they want, however they want, but to use it as an excuse to condone violence and insurrection and sedition is straight up scary because I hate to make this comparison, but that's what the Nazis did. They said a good Aryan Christian is the ideal man for Germany and everyone else is second class. But anyway, after I set up my parlor profile, I went hunting for some interesting little tidbits of what was going on in that social media circle And I'm sure you all would love to hear some of the things that I found. So here we go. I'm just going to go right down the list of some of the more inflammatory and insane things that I saw just perusing through the parlor hashtags. And the first thing I'm going to mention is that it seems like there's a general consensus that not only was the march on Washington and the storming of the Capitol a success, they're not done. They're going to come back sometime between now and the inauguration of Joe Biden with guns. And that really scares me. So here's a parlor post from just after the riots had been put down talking about this. And I am reading this post verbatim with the grammatical and spelling errors intact. So here we go. Today, January 6th, 2021. We patriots, by the millions, have arrived in Washington, D.C., carrying banners of support for the greatest president the world has ever known. Bit if we must. Many of us will return on January 19th, 2021, carrying our weapons in support of our nation's resolve. 
Tohwich, two in which in the same word, the world will never forget. We will come in numbers that no standing army or police agency can match. However, the police are not our enemy, unless they choose to be. All who will not stand with the American patriots, or who cannot stand with us, then that would be a good time for you to take a few vacation days. Sincerely, the American Patriot. This is just the tip of the iceberg, folks. I found plenty of posts, just like I said, randomly perusing through different hashtags like MAGA and Stop the Steal and Fight for Trump, and just more examples that this is not an exception. This sort of rhetoric is the norm in these far-right circles. Here's a few more examples. If hashtag SCOTUS doesn't act, I'll kill them. There is a sheriff's deputy who actually got fired for this post saying that it was God keeping me from murdering the mentally ill. Another one. I'm making a list of liberals. How will I know when it's legal to hashtag kill a liberal? Asking for a friend. There was another guy who I'm not going to repeat the entire conversation, but he had a difficult conversation with his kids about not possibly coming back from D.C. because he was going to turn himself into a martyr for his cause. And to me, that sounds an awful lot like a suicide bomber, which kind of just reinforces what I've been seeing in non-conservative social media circles comparing the parlor mob to an American version of ISIS, which I don't think is completely inaccurate with stuff like this happening. Here's another one. If Donald Trump is not reelected, hundreds will die by my hand. And then here's another one that's a bit longer. Today, Eric Trump said he would physically fight with the patriots to save the country. Trump told us to fight like hell. Our cause is a matter of national security. Let's go get our personal affairs in order. Prepare our weapons and go get them. Let's hunt these cowards down like traitors that each of them are. This includes rhinos, Republicans in name only for those who don't know that acronym, Dems, and tech execs. We now have the green light. All who resist us are enemies of the Constitution and must be treated as such. The scariest part of that statement is that these people, because of what Trump said in the rally, now think they have the green light to kill people who don't agree with them. Here's another one in the same vein, except with way more grammatical errors and in all caps. I'm going to read it exactly as it was written. The gloves are off, lib turds. I am a wolf in wolf's clothing. The sheep will not be spared, 111. Your libtard mask won't save you from the manga insurgency, 111111. Yes, he said manga, like anime, not manga. Oh, and let's not forget the anger emoji, anger emoji, skull emoji, skull emoji, etc. But here's another one. They are coming for you, your livelihoods, and everything else. Go and start getting your guns ready to turn in and burn your Bibles and delete your parlor, because if the Dems pull off this coup, they will do all that and more. There is no 2024 if we stand down now. And finally, I'll end this little segment of parlor hashtags with 
the worst one that I saw and also the most direct. So this one was posted right after the Capitol got stormed. And he's referring to the fact that, as I said, Capitol Police actually let protesters in and took selfies with them. He says, they let them in, get the firing squads ready, Pence goes first. This is real. This is widespread. This is way more common than you'd think. These hashtags and posts like it had hundreds of thousands of shares on Parler. There is a sizable community of people in the United States who believe that violent insurrection is the only way to change things and they're willing to go through with it. And the capital violence is proof of that. This is why I was so relieved to see today that Parler is essentially going to be shut down. But the problem is that that's not going to take away their ability to share these things. Parler might be going down, but there'll just be another social media site that they use that's just going to pick up the pace and pick up the slack right where they left off. The problem that we need to address is not the fact that these views get shared, although that is a problem and it needs to be addressed. The main issue that we need to deal with is the fact that these views, these untruths, are being given legitimacy by major news organizations and by those with the power and the money to be able to spread them so easily. And there's a pretty good example of how this works and why this works. And I can't believe I'm using it and quoting from it, and I apologize if anyone's offended. But Adolf Hitler in Mein Kampf wrote about how these lies are propagated. And he said, In the big lie, there is always a certain force of credibility. In the primitive simplicity of their minds, they more readily fall victims to the big lie than the small lie, since they themselves often tell small lies in little matters, but would be ashamed to resort to large-scale falsehoods. It would never come into their heads to fabricate colossal untruths, and they would not believe that others could have the impudence to distort the truth so infamously. Even though the facts which prove this to be so may be brought clearly to their minds, they will still doubt and waver and will continue to think that there may be some other explanation. For the grossly impudent lie always leave traces behind it, even after it has been nailed down, a fact which is known to all expert liars in this world and to all who conspire together in the art of lying. So to put this in simpler terms, what Hitler is basically saying here is that it's always better to commit to the big lie because people are more willing to believe it than the little ones. And if you commit to it so hard that it leaves traces in the real world, then your lies will propagate themselves like wildfire. This explains Trump's mentality perfectly. He's only interested in the big lie. He doesn't care about American democracy. He doesn't care about real voter fraud, which, by the way, is virtually non-existent. He only cares about, they stole it from me. He only cares about keeping himself 
as the center of attention. He wants to be the guy. And the way he stays the guy is by propagating this big lie. Because he knows that people who support him will never in a million years think he's lying to them. So there's some food for thought for you guys, courtesy of the most evil person who ever walked the earth. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and move right along to the weirdest thing that I saw this week. So because it's been so long since I did an episode, and because so many insane, crazy things happened this week, I'm going to make this one a twofer. So number one is something you all have probably seen on the news at some point, the QAnon Shaman. For those of you who don't know, he's the dude you see in all the photos of the Capitol riots, wearing a bear skin, having no shirt on, having a spear wrapped in the American flag on his hand, and wearing a Viking helmet looking like some sort of Skyrim bandit reject. And I, despite the fact that I've been following in these QAnon and right-wing conspiracy theory circles, I had never seen or heard of this guy until the Capitol riots. And when I looked up more information on him, because, I mean, let's face it, I just had to when I saw this guy, it got better. He's been going to Trump and Q rallies for the better part of a year, and when he does, he does things like this. Yeah! Thank you, President Trump! Thank you, Q! America! Land of the free, home of the brave! I mean, you can't make this stuff up, folks. It's almost as if someone took every single crazy American stereotype with the flag and being shirtless and just mindless insane devotion to Trump and QAnon and just copy pasted them into this one guy who is just absolutely nuts and by the way he is one of the people who has been arrested and charged with crimes in the storming of the Capitol but before that happened he did manage to score an interview and what he said and I quote was the fact that we had a bunch of our traitors in office hunker down put on their gas masks and retreat into their underground bunker I consider that a win this is the face of the pro-Trump QAnon movement folks he wears face paint and wields a spear and a viking helmet and yelling out America at the top of his lungs he's literally a walking talking stereotype of everything hilariously bad about the QAnon and far-right conspiracy theory movement. And I just love it so much. I'm so happy I found him. I'm sure there's more to him than meets the eye, and I'll do some homework and see if I can report that next week. But thank you for being there, QAnon Shaman. You made a really bad day a little more enjoyable. So number two is another parlor post that I found that has thankfully nothing to do with the Capitol or the protests or even anything remotely based in reality. No, this has to do with Bill and Melinda Gates and vaccines. So I'm not going to give you any more context than this. I'm just going to read it to you in the best storybook voice that I possibly can because I think it fits here. In 2013, Bill and Melinda Gates 
went to India and, quote, vaccinated children who suddenly became paralyzed or died. The parents of these children hung Bill and Melinda. The deep state immediately replaced Bill and Melinda Gates with body doubles. Look Alice's, not look-alikes, look Alice's, who continued the murderous depopulation efforts of Big Pharma vaccines along with carrying out satanic rituals involving the torture and murder of children. Our military arrested the Bill and Melinda Gates body doubles and, last update I had read, were awaiting military tribunals at Gitmo. Until today, when I read Bill was working a plea deal with Trump. All a plea deal means is they can choose how they die will protect their family from the humiliation of a public trial, or they may get life at Gitmo, or possibly an oppressive for a shorter sentence. The end. That's it, folks. We now have the explanation we need for why the vaccines are being pumped into our children's veins. We have the explanation for why Bill and Melinda Gates are so shady and so evil. It's because they're body doubles. But wait, if they're at Gitmo, then how are they still able to administer the vaccines? How are they still able to control things? Come on, Q people, I thought you had your act together. And the funniest thing about this is, this runs completely antithetical to what we normally see from these Q people about the Bill Gates virus vaccine conspiracy, which is that He wants to inject microchips into everyone so he can control them. But how can he inject microchips into everyone if Trump has already figured him out and... Oh, wait, no. Figured the body double out and put him in Gitmo. How is this even happening? It makes no sense whatsoever. And that's what I love about it. It makes no sense and is completely contradictory to its own logic. But you wouldn't know that just watching InfoWars because... According to InfoWars this week, there was no pandemic in 2020. Instead, the only reason we're saying there's a pandemic is because we're going to be forced into taking vaccines by the Biden administration. And once they do that, the Democrats are going to release a, quote, really bad bioweapon that they've been developing for years. Then they will force you to get vaccinated in order to cure it. And that's how they'll take over your minds. They need that piece of the puzzle for their global empire, for their global cabal. But wait, if that's the case, then how are Bill and Melinda Gates at Gitmo? I'm I'm not even going to get into it any further. It's just, it's magical. It's beautiful. It's hilarious. And it, along with the QAnon shaman, was the weirdest thing that I saw this week. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the Undercover Bubble Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I gave you a little bit of new insight as to how the far right thinks. And for those of you who actually waited the last two months for this newest episode, thank you very, very much for your loyalty and your listenership. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends if you liked the podcast. And I will see you next time. Have a good one, folks.